Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 12th. We do apologize for the delay in the release of today's episode. Our pledge to all of you listeners, we are going to get back on schedule starting tomorrow. What does that mean? It means GSP Ace of the Day segments for you, mini break podcasts, recapping each day's play as well. Plus, if you are a Crack Rackets Patreon subscriber, a match of the day segment for all of you. We're going to get all of that to you tomorrow by noon Eastern time. That way you have all the information you need to thoroughly enjoy each day of Indian Wells. That's going to be the schedule moving forward, of course, on this podcast. I do want to recap day five of Indian Wells. The first thought that comes to mind when you think about Monday's action. Boy, that was messy. And of course, the conditions had such a big role in the Michigas we saw unfold on court. There were windstorms throughout the day session. Of course, that turned into a brief rain delay. I suppose it wasn't brief if it's over an hour long, but you saw when the players came back out on court how difficult it was to hit a winner and how the gusts continued to play a factor in each and every match. Of course, despite those conditions, captivating day of results as you look across the board. We had a healthy dose of upsets, plenty of three-set drama, plenty of seeds continuing to look exceptional on their runs here in Indian Wells. Overall, just an enjoyable day of tennis for us tennis fans. And of course, on today's show, again, I want to recap all of it, talk about Tommy Paul knocking out Andre Rublev, talking about Schwartzman, Rude surviving their respective matches, Cam Nori winning another marathon, another big victory for him, first Indian Wells round of 16 as he knocks off Roberto Bautista Agut, of course, on the women's side. There's only one defending champion left in the draw. It's Victoria Azarenka as Annette Conteve knocks out your 2019 champion, Andrescu Conteve, continuing to solidify her status as the most informed player in the women's game right now. Of course, another informed player, Angelique Kerber, earns a three-set win in a marathon battle over Daria Kasakina. Plenty of other fun women Women's results for us to discuss on today's show as well. We're going to hit them all. Completely capture day five so that, again, you listeners have all the information you need as we continue through the event to thoroughly enjoy all of the action. Of course, before we get into today's show, I do just have to quickly give a shout out to all of you, a shout out to our Patreon family, without whom none of these podcasts would be possible. I suppose this is a bit of a nugget, but, you know, not quite worth celebrating because I couldn't tell you the exact day that it happened. We had our millionth download in Crack Rackets podcast history. Obviously, that's a super cool fact. And, you know, I laugh to myself every time that there have been a million listens to the thing that I'm saying. You take out the what? 
25000 from my mother. That's still a pretty good number. So a huge thank you to all of you uh, Crack Rackets listeners out there, to our Patreon family, again, without whom none of this content would be possible, of course. Also have to give a huge shout-out to our friends over at Tennis Point who support each and every episode of the Mini Break Podcast. They also support tennis players around the globe. And I'll give you another sneaky reason why this podcast is coming later today. I had my Indy League Championship knocked off our Crack Rackets co-founder, Dalton Thieneman, in the semifinals, earn a victory over, he'll remain nameless just because I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not, but earned a victory, straight sets for me. In the final, Alex Gruskin, tennis champion still, have the inspiration I need to continue to do these podcasts day in, day out. It was also nice to know I still got it on the court. Of course, perhaps for you, you don't got it right now, and maybe it's the shoes you're wearing. Maybe you haven't had your racket strung in months. Maybe you don't have the proper grips. Maybe, just again, you've you've gotten in shape, and the clothes you're wearing are too baggy, and that's you know diminishing your performance on court. Whatever it may be. Be. Our friends at Tennis Point have the answer. And you go to tennis-point.com right now. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, there are uh, some restrictions on what products you can get, but I will say CR15, 15% off, free two-day shipping, free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. What more could you want? And, of course, we are so grateful for the continued support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that, let's go from one TP to another TP. We go from Tennis Point to Tommy Paul who earned the victory of the day, Tommy Paul knocking off, I believe, number five seed, Andre, oh, excuse me, number four seed, Andre Rublev, 6-4-3-6-7-5, to advance to the round of 16. It is the first Masters round of 16 for Tommy in his career, and what a funky summer it's been for TP. He really is a Masters specialist. You look for him this summer since uh, post-Olympics, since the summer hard court stretch begins, uh, I suppose, you know, his Olympic loss, he does lose to Karatsev straight sets first round, but he goes to Canada, qualifies in Canada, gets a win over Pospisil before getting knocked out by Bautista Gut. By the way, impressive wins for him in qualifying over college number one Liam Draxel over a very much informed first-time challenger champion here this season, Liam Brody. Uh, those are two good wins in qualifying to get into the main draw. And then again, three-set win over Pospisil before a close three and four loss to RBA. He then goes to Cincinnati, even more impressive. Beats a fellow guy who has, you know, ascended into the top 100 this season, solidified himself in the top 75 in Sun Wukwan. He beats Tennis Sandgren 6-3 in the third set, knocks out Christian Garin in three sets before bowing out 7-6, 6-2, Carbeas Benya. Now, was a disappointing loss for him. Four sets to, uh, to uh, excuse me, to Lorenzo Sinego in Cincinnati. Now, the disappointing loss for him was at the U.S. Open. Four-set loss to Carbeas Benya on a hard court. That's quicker hard court, too. That's just a match Tommy's got to win at this point of his career. But, you know, again, goes to San Diego, plays the 250 there the week before Indian Wells, loses first round in three sets, but it was a really high-quality match with Sebastian Corda. And that 6-1 in the third isn't reflective of how close that set truly was. Of course, 
he was dominant in his first two matches here at Indian Wells. And this surface, these conditions fit Tommy so well because, of course, when you think about 24-year-old Tommy Paul, the first thing that jumps into your head is the athleticism, is the fluidity. Some people, and I know I say this all the time, but some people were just born to have a tennis racket in your hand. And there's just a calmness, a poise to Tommy Paul. Everything comes easily to him on the tennis court. It's just, again, how fleet of foot he is, how fluid he is in the corners, his ability to track everything down, his ability to go from defense to offense in a split second, his ability to show off his hands, his, you know, again, ability as a volleyer. I would argue of all of the Americans, he and Tiafa 1A, 1B, in terms of their skills at the net as volleyers, Tommy's got the touch, he's got the angles, got the explosion to cover the net and, you know, cover each of the passing shots open uh, for his opponents. And look, the problem for Tommy is it's a little Davidovich Fokina y. It's, you know, Gofeni in the jack of all trades sort of thing where, all right, if you can do plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D, well, which plan should you be going with? And I think for Tommy, that's going to be the continued struggle for him. And all season long, it's been how do I solidify myself in the top 50? What do I do to make my life a little bit easier, win a few more free points, just to, again, find a comfort level so he doesn't have to work so hard to win each and every point? Now, he can't can do that, and that's exactly what he showed off last night against Andre Rublev. You just look from the onset of the match, TP was ready to make that one a track meet. TP wasn't afraid of the Andre Rublev forehand, and obviously it helps to play on these conditions where everything is so slow, so high bouncing. It gives Tommy that extra half second to track everything down, but A, his relentlessness of taking his backhand early and on the rise, just using all the topspin provided and depth provided by Andre Rublev and just stepping up and taking that ball early so as to not allow Rublev that extra half second to cheat over on the ad side of the court and just... You know, again, for Tommy, it was mixing up his spots. If he was going to play to the Rublev forehand, he was going to play aggressively to the Rublev forehand. There was no being afraid of it. It was, okay, I th- the pattern dictates I have to go down the line here to the forehand. There was no fear for Tommy in doing that. Now, he missed some approach shots long. He missed some on-the-run cross-court forehands wide as he was trying to pressure that Rublev corner because, of course, if you leave a ball short on the Rublev forehand side, you're more likely than not going to end up losing the point but it was the relentless pressure Tommy kept putting on Rublev. It was a discipline that respectfully for Tommy this season, who's 23 and 19 overall now, we just haven't seen match in, match out. And you look for Tommy, it's just, you know, starts and finishes, right? He, you know, pretty solid at the start of the year before, you know, knocks down four in Australia by Casper Ruud, makes quarterfinals in Rotterdam, but then, you know, goes on to lose uh, six of his next eight matches, you know, first round losses for him, Acapulco, Miami, Cagliari, wins a match in Monte Carlo before getting knocked out by Bautista Agut wins a match in Madrid before losing in three sets to Andre Rublev. And, you know, you look for him during the course of the summer, makes the semifinals of Parma, then, you know, deals with some injuries, isn't able to play Wimbledon, but fourth, uh, second round four set loss to Medvedev, loses first round to Karatsev at Tokyo, loses first round to Daniel Galan in D.C. He's then picked up his level since then. And so, 
Again, for Tommy, he's run a bit hot and cold at times this season, but I do think it's pretty unequivocally a step forward, and I wish the numbers were more reflective of that fact. You looked for Tommy. He's holding 77.5% of the time this season. That's 0.3 above his career average. He's breaking serve 21.4% of the time. That's 0.7 below his career average, although you look for Tommy. A, you adjust for the level of play he's played this season. B, you adjust for the fact that this is the most ATP matches he's played in a single season that he is so close to that career average I think is actually pretty good and he's over 20% you look for Tommy that 21.4 where would that rank amongst top 50 players I'm glad you asked 21.4% would rank tied ooh this is not a good name to be tied with Benoit Pair that number would be good excuse me for 38th amongst top 50 players you look for Tommy again the hold percentage for him here this season 77.5% that number again going to be outside the top 20 you look for Tommy 77.5% currently good I believe tied uh, with Laszlo Jure uh, for excuse me 39th amongst top 50 players so there's some room for improvement but I think this is indicative of the floor again Tommy can do a lot of different things and it's about being able to find opportunities to play plus one tennis finding the correct opportunities to push forward show off his athleticism show off his skills at the net he did all that against Andre Rublev yesterday and whether it was you know again he was down multiple breaks he was down a break right away in that second set he gets the break back and even though he ends up losing that second set uh to Rublev overall in the end you look for Tommy again 6-3 he easily could have folded that set you know he went down 4-1 could have given it away he didn't he kept scrapping and clawing his way into every Andre Rublev service game and you look for Tommy perhaps most impressively he sent saves 10 of 14 break points he converts on 5 of 11 wins 71% of his first serve points again was just tracking down there was only one combo that never worked for Tommy if it, it was if he hit a bump lob on uh, excuse me a bump return on the deuce side to the Andre Rublev forehand Rublev was hitting that forehand inside out I don't think I've ever seen someone just destroy inside out forehands throughout the course of a match like Rublev does and it was because that shot in particular he was hitting against the wind and he also was hitting it uh, just again he was literally slapping it straight downward just because of the surface and it was just there were times t- even Tommy who's as quick as you're going to find was just like nope I'm not getting to that one that's too good Andre but Andre had to be that good point in point out Tommy made the match extraordinarily physical and again serves for the match so he, he's up 5-3 has a match point at 5-3 in the third set overcooks a backhand long in that instance Rublev ends up getting it back on serve and Rublev played a really good return game you know hit some forehands with great uh, returns excuse me with great depth to set up first forehands and just set up dictating forehands in the rally uh, you know, Rublev gets the break for four all. He holds again for five all, but Tommy pressures him in that service game. And you could see, well, maybe that was Tommy's moment. And unfortunately, that moment passed. No, that wasn't the case for Tommy. Again, he's able to hold four six five, gets the break over Rublev in the end. And you could see the emotion on Tommy's face. Well, I don't want to say he was quite brought to tears, but you could just see the joy in his eyes. And this will never be quantifiable, but I'm recording this after Taylor Fritz has won today. I do think that played a factor. Just again, iron sharpens iron. You see your friend have success. Whenever I hear Gil Gross on Tennis Channel, of course, I'm immensely proud for him, but that pisses me off. I'm like, I got to get back in the booth. I got to step up my game so that I can get there as well. Again, 
that Tommy Paul was excellent. The standard setter, he needed a win like this to close out his season, and he's got the momentum on his side. First Masters round of 16, you look for Tommy now in terms of the points race. I mean, he's still technically alive in the race for the year-end finals, currently 61st overall, but you look for him now in the live rankings for Tommy, up to number 54 by making the round of 16. One more win. He'll crack the top 50. Uh, Excuse me, he'll get inside the top 50. He's been ranked number 50, but he would be inside the top 50 for the first time. This is a really good win for Tommy, a much-needed win as well. Has built some momentum for himself. Again, qualifying, earning uh, victories at each of the the summer hard court. I'm including Indian Wells in this. uh, Masters events here and you know, again, that, that's a hell of a result for Tommy. Now, of course, the flip side for Andre, brutal conditions for him because they do neutralize every forehand, and Andre's got to hit seven forehands uh, to hit a winner on even on these courts and even with his forehand. At the same time, I really do think this match was more indicative of Tommy than it was of Andre Rublev. Now, there were some volleys Rublev had shots at that he just couldn't put away solidly. Tommy got to look at a second pass. He can't give Tommy looks at second passes. But, you know, again... Every time Tommy Pulp stretched Rublev to the forehand corner and made Rublev hit something on the run there, the depth he got on that on-the-run forehand was pretty solid. And again, his backhand becomes more and more solid. He knows players are going to target that ad side, and I think he's become more dynamic on that backhand wing, more comfortable hitting through the court. At the same time, you look for Andre Rublev. You know, he made 70% of his first serves, and he loses this match. Now, part of that is indicative of just where, you know, these conditions, but... Rublev's got to be better with that serve. There's no denying that. And the good news is when you're saying someone's thing they got to improve on most is their serve, that's a great thing because the serve is the single most improvable aspect, I would argue, of tennis and just that you can hit bazillions of repetitions. And yeah, you can practice playing forehands in matches, but the serve is the most controlled shot because you are the one, again, you know every time where that toss is going to go. You get to pick what you're doing with that shot to start out the rally. And I think we've seen the progression for Andre Rublev here this season on his serve. You look for Rublev overall in the year. He's holding 86.7% of the time. That would be a career high. Career highs, obviously, in first serve percentage, second serve percentage. And yet it still feels like there's some low-hanging fruit for improvement there. Still, it's a fantastic win for Tommy Paul. Three sets, he advances over Andre Rublev into the round of 16. For the record, those of you curious, Tommy Paul now going to take on Cam Nori. And it's interesting because these two guys could have competed in college tennis once upon a time. Cam Nori over at TCU ascended to the number one player in the country. I believe his time there, 2014 to 2016. I believe Tommy, I mean, I don't believe Tommy was committed to go play at Georgia. Then he wins the junior French Open, has success at the futures level, Makes, you know, another final, I believe, at the U.S. Open that year. I want to say in the juniors where he loses to Fritz after beating him at the French Open. I mean, yeah, again, there was a world where they overlapped and they would have been two of the five best players in college tennis in that 2015-2016 range season. I'm really excited for that matchup because, of course, Cam Norrie has just been... maybe the breakout player of the year here in 2021. And I know that's a topic we discussed earlier in the week with Gil Gross, but the numbers for Norrie are just ridiculous. 47 and 20 now here in 2021. He's played 67 matches. He's winning 70% of those matches. And it's not a cupcake schedule either, folks. You look for him, again, breaking down by ranking against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's 28 and 7. By the way, those seven losses 
Alcaraz, Nishikori, Rusevoriana Hardcourt, which is a top 50 loss, let's be clear. Dom Kopfer, who was, I think has hovered around the top 50 since then. He also lost to Herbert, TP in three sets, and then Sebastian Corda, who is now a top 50 player. So again, even con- contextualizing those outside the top 50 losses, that much more impressive. He's 19-13, though, against the top 50. Perhaps most impressively, 8-7 and seven now against the top 20 here this season. It makes sense that when you look at all of the metrics for Cam Norrie, you look in the rankings, new career high for Cam Norrie now, up to uh, number 27 right now in the live rankings. Oh, excuse me, got passed by, who passed him? Karatsev, I guess, passed him. But for uh, Cam Norrie, one more win here at this event. He will jump to a new career high of number 23 in the live rankings, perhaps more indicative of where his ranking will go when things get back to normal. He's 13th in the points race. And I mean, he trails technically eighth place Hubi Hercots by almost a thousand points, but and and Hubi's made the round of sixteen, which is tough for Nori, as have Karatsev and Sinner as well, and Kasparud, all of whom are ahead of him currently in the race, but thirteenth in points accumulated. Thirteenth! For the 26-year-old who, not going to surprise any of you, career high for him in hold percentage. And that had been the thing he'd struggled with. And just, again, creating easy plus one chances, being able to take control of points on his serve, keep rate, holding serve as he was, breaking serve, because he's always been good at breaking serve. He's up to 81.2% hold percentage. That number is good for 27th amongst top 50 players. Of course, he's currently 8th right now in break percentage, 27.7%. The numbers say it. The results say it. You look for Nori at the big events here this season. You know, obviously the slams probably come first. Third round losses to Rafa in both Australia and Roland Garros. He goes to Wimbledon. Third round loss to Federer. U.S. Open. First round loss to Carlos Alcaraz. But I certainly wouldn't say that's a bad loss. Of course, the bigger numbers, nine quarterfinals, six semifinals, five finals, first final of his career. Again, you break it down by ranking, he's 8-7 and seven against top 20 opponents. And I know I tweeted this out yesterday, but one has to wonder if Roberto Bautista Gut was playing this match, is looking in a mirror and going, huh, I used to be Camp Nori. I used to be the physical nightmare, the one who didn't have the overwhelming rep weapon, but just minimized my weakness and could answer everything my opponents throw at me and just, you know, again, death by death by a thousand paper cuts uh, them to death. And that's what Nori did. He just, even when he, you know, goes down uh, and he was up early, I believe, in that second set, ends up giving that break back, loses it 7-5. There was no wavering. There was no frustration on his part. You could see in his face, he's like, okay, we're going three sets today. The good news is I'm ready for the battle. And of course, for Nori, who had gone three sets against Sandgren in round number one for himself and is coming off of a San Diego final the week before. It was just really impressive to see him, again, battle physically. And, of course, for Nori, he makes 61.4% of his first serves, wins 71% of those first serve points. Now, the second serve got feasted on. He only won 38.5% of his second serve points. However, he won 55, uh, 56% of his own second serve points, created 17 Breakpoint chances for himself, converted on six of them. Conversely, he fought off 
10 of the 14 breakpoint chances he himself faced. And it was just so hard for either of these players to find space, to create the space, to hit through the court, create winners, uh, just generate, you know, force and unforced error. And Nori was a little bit better. Again, 11.9 ace percentage for him against Roberto Bautista. You could tell there were times he was going after the serve. It's also noticeable he had a 7.9% double fault rate. That significantly higher uh, than his typical rate for the season, which you look for Nori, his double fault rate, uh, 3.8 for the season. So he was over double that number. It's indicative of he knew he had to go after that serve, particularly down the home stretch in the third set. He gets the job done. 6-4, 5-7, 6-3 over Bautista Agut. Again, round of 16 for him at Indian Wells. In his first Indian Wells main draw, you look for him now at Masters events in general. I believe this is his first round of 16 at a Masters event. Just chalk it off. Another, oh, excuse me, second round of 16. He did it in Monte Carlo back in 2019 as well. But first on a hard court and, you know, again, check off the boxes. Tons of firsts for Nori. He's got quarterfinals. First quarterfinal at a Masters in his sight. That matchup versus Tommy Paul going to be super physical, going to be super, super enjoyable as well. But that's a heck of a win from Cam Nori. Of course, you look at our other men's matches on the day. There was some drama uh, for Casper Rudig. Schwartzman, who are two of the members of our aces of the day. You look for Schwartzman. He races out to a 5-2 lead over Dan Evans. Sees that lead evaporate. Drops the set 7-5. Is down a break all the way through 4-3 in the second set. Flips the script entirely. And you look for Diego Schwartzman in the end. Uh, he's able to earn a 5-7-6-4-6 love victory. So he wins, what, nine of the final 10 games played in the match. And a slow hard court for Diego Schwartzman. Good luck hitting a winner against him. It's that much harder for Dan Evans as well to create free points. And you look for Diego Schwartzman, you know, not the most highlight year, but quietly maybe the best year of his season. Now, you look by scale, he's played, you know, fewer matches this year than he has uh, since 2016. But in the matches Diego Schwartzman has played this season, now 30 and 17 overall on the year you look for them that 60 uh i believe what 64 percent win percentage it's actually the highest win percentage of his career in atp tour level seasons and you know you look for him holding serve 76.4 percent of the time don't look now that's a career high he's breaking serve 34.5 percent of the time that's the second highest number of his career trails only last season when he was at 34.9 again you look at that 30 and 17 record round of 16 for him at the u.s open quarterfinals for him at roland garros uh you know quietly third round i suppose at wimbledon which is pretty solid for him third round at the australian open where he lost to Aslan Karatsev, earns a title on home soil in Buenos Aires earlier this season. Outside of that, you look for him overall on the year. He's made five different quarterfinals, made eight in 2020, eight in 2019, five back in 2018, made 11 actually over in 2017. So maybe not the most consistent season for Diego Schwartzman, but he's brought his best at the biggest events. And as you progress through your career, that is what becomes most important. You look for Schwartzman. Again, it was just so relentless and just he never quits and is able to turn all of these matches into baseline ground stroke games, essentially, just with how he neutralizes serve. He's number one right now. Uh, if you take out Carlos Alcaraz, who so much of his success has come at challenger level tournaments, but He's number one on the season in break percentage amongst top 50 players, at least amongst top 50 players who have played a full season of ATP Tour matches. You know, again, it's 
a hell of an escape from Schwartzman, who's still in, if uh, not in maybe the center of history, but 29. He's right at the tail end, if not still at the end of the center of his prime solid season for him into an Indian Wells round of 16. Of course, it's been a year of first for Casper Ruud, 46-12 and 12 overall on the season into his Indian Wells round of 16 in his first Indian Wells main draw played. He's now won seven consecutive matches dating back to the start of San Diego. You look for him, 46-12 and 12 on the season, obviously leads the tour with his five titles, 5-0 and 0 in those title matches. He's made 11 quarterfinals here this season. He's done one uh, quarterfinal on each and every surface as well. You look for Casper Ruud, he's a top 15 club member. He's holding serve. 86.4% of the time, breaking serve 28.3% of the time. It's been extraordinary. Like, I don't know what more you need to see from him. Obviously, the round of 64 loss to Botik van de in four sets in the round of 64 at the U.S. Open was not expected, but van de goes on to make the quarterfinals. And you look at his other hard court results this uh, season, or since the hard court stretch, Quarterfinals Canada loses to Tsitsipas. No shame in that. Quarterfinals Cincinnati beats Opelka, beats Schwartzman, loses to Zverev. No shame in that. You look for him. Obviously, U.S. Open's disappointing, but then he beats Murray, Sinego, Dimitrov, and Nori to win San Diego. Wins now over Carbeas, Bania, and then a win yesterday over Lloyd Harrison, which he fought off all eight of the break points he faced. I believe he converted. I think he only had two break point chances. Excuse me, four break point chances. He was three of four on break point chances. Meanwhile, it fights off all eight break points he faced. Honest to God, Lloyd Harris could have... Oh, wait, no, something's wrong here. Something's off. I was going to say, he didn't face four break points yesterday. He had, no, converted two of the five break point chances he has. There it is. Um, but you look for Casper Ruud, again, he just... Harris should have won that match three and three. Like, Harris had a million chances, particularly early in the match. And yeah, there were some tentative misses, we'll say, from Harris. But Casper scraps, claws, he plays more backhand slice than you'll expect, and yet he's plenty comfortable swinging through the backhand. Of course, if you give him time on the forehand wing, he is going to make you suffer in a slow, high-bouncing hardcore, tailor-made for Casper Ruud to have success. Again, not a shock to see him in the round of 16, the 23-year-old playing some exceptional tennis. And by the way, you look for Casper Ruud, 22-year-old, excuse me. He is currently eighth right now. Uh, ninth, new career high for him in the live rankings. Currently seventh, excuse me, in the points race. He's opened up about a 150-point lead on Hubi Hercots. He's up 220 points on Yannick Sinner, up you know about 1,000 points on Karatsev, technically 985, over 1,000 on Cam Nori. Pretty sure he's going to make it to the year-end finals. And, of course, four spots still up for grabs, although in reality, Rublev, Berrettini, they're too far ahead for anyone to catch. And so, really, the final two spots come down to Rude, Hercots, Sinner, Karatsev, and Nori, I'd say. I mean, FAA, too, I guess if he wins the Paris Masters in indoor hardcourt, why not? But that's really the race. And those are five fascinating guys for it to come down to. Of course, some of the other guys who had success over on Monday uh, in terms of on the men's side, you do look. Hubi Hercots, aforementioned, dominant, and put on a clinic on how to handle a windy, a windy day, moves forward, takes everything out of the air as possible, was so effective with his first strike. Three and two victory over an honestly informed Francis Tiafo. You also look Aslan Karatsev did so well to muscle through that first set. Chapo had him, 5-4, Karatsev was serving, and it felt like Chapo, I know he had a set point, and it felt like that was his moment to capture the break, capture the momentum. Karatsev able to hold, break Shapovalov in the very next game, 7-5 
5-6-2 in the end for the Russian, who has solidified himself in the top 100, uh, excuse me, in the top 30 of the ATP rankings. And you look for Aslan Karatsev, just again, what he's accomplished here this season in comparison to what he's done in the past. Karatsev from 29 to 2020, 3 and 10 in ATP tour matches, zero Grand Slam main draws, 9 and 17 versus top 100 opponents. He's now 30 and 17. Overall this year, eight main draw slam wins, 25 and 16 versus top 100 opponents. It's remarkable. What he has done this season is absolutely remarkable. And so again, for Karatsev, disappointing loss for Shapo, and you could see the frustration mount early for him in the second set. That's just where you got to buckle down and have to be willing to suffer a little bit physically. Let that first set get behind you. He isn't, and so in the end, it's Karatsev 5-2. and two. Over Shapo, of course, your other win, uh, other winners on the day, Medvedev, straight sets, 2-6 and six over Krajinovic. He's just Medvedeving it up. And Grigor Dimitrov played extraordinarily well. I think he like made four unforced errors through the course of the match. Something crazy in a 3-4 and four win over Riley Opelka kept things simple focused on the first shot uh whether it be his return of serve or his plus one ball and the location of his serve you just again he made the big man look like a big man on the tennis court and that's hard to do especially against Riley Opelka on a slow hard court it's a really nice win for Grigor much needed round of 16 for him but those are your men's results now probably not going to spend quite as long breaking down the women's results. A lot of these players I've spent a lot of time talking about over the past week, and I don't want to repeat myself too frequently here on the show. But look, it's the summer of Annette Conteve. There's no denying that. It's a hot Conteve summer, and you look at what she's accomplished here this season, 34-14 and 14 overall in the year, now 15-1 and one since the start of the warm-up event for the U.S. Open in Cleveland. You look for her during that stretch of time. It's not cupcakes. She's beaten Teichman, Cerebez Tormo, Sinyakova, Bedosa, Bencic, Kvitova, Sakri, now Bianca Andreescu, 7-6-6-3, to advance to the Indian Wells round of 16. She's played herself, by the way, into the race to Guadalajara. You look for Annette Conteve now. She's moved up all the way to 15th in the points race, currently trails, I'm going to call her 8th place, Alina Svitolina, who was knocked out today uh, by fewer than 200 points. She's down 154 points to Conteve, uh, to Svitolina, but one more win at this Indian Wells will put her down just 60 points to Svitolina. Of course, she still trails uh, Pegula as well. She still trails, uh, but she trails Pegula, and uh, but she's still ahead of Bedosa, and this is notable because Bedosa is around ahead of her already in Indian Wells as I'm looking at this points race. But, you know, again, uh, it's a hell of a season for Annette Conteve. A lot of career highs for her across the board. Hold percentage, 70.8%. That's a percent, a percent above her career average technically second highest of her career. She was 74.1 in 2017. You look for her 38.5% break percentage. Again, second highest she's had in her career, but that's about 2% greater than her career average. She's winning more first serve points, winning more second serve points, winning more return points in general. She's worked her way into the top 25 club, a top 25 player in both hold and break percentage. And while none of those numbers are inside the top 20, Speaks to her floor as a player. Annette Conteve is just going to make you suffer, and she is going to pop a ball by you down the line when you least expect it. She is going to move forward, hit the swinging volley out of the air to take time away from you. She can do a lot of different things, has gotten extraordinarily fit here in her age 25 season. As such, it's really not a surprise to see Annette Conteve back into the top 20 of the live rankings, and that's where Annette Conteve currently sits, and you look for her again in the points race. She's 15th 
here this season. You look at the record overall, 34 and 14 here in 2021. You look for her uh, is 19 and one against opponents ranked outside the top uh, 50. Her only loss being to Shelby Rogers, who of course I believe is like 21 and 10 here in 2021 on hard courts. Of course, you flip that script for her now 14 and 13 against top 50 opponents. Now six and nine against top 20 opponents. But it's worth mentioning she's got you know three top 20 wins over uh, three top 20 players in Ostrava, taking her record from three and nine to six and nine. And you look for her; she's earned six different top 50 wins since the start of Ostrava, eight different top 50 wins overall since the start of the Cleveland stretch. Yeah. That's, again, Annette Conteve is ascending. There's a reason she's risen all the way to third in 2021 ELO ratings, which is a measurement of who has the current best form in the game. She's trailing just Barty and Krejcikova, who have each won slams this season. Outside of that, again, Annette Conteve has been a bastion of consistency here this year. You look overall on the season. She's made five different quarterfinals. And, you know, again, I already listed all the numbers for you. She's been that rock solid, and she just took it. To Bianca Andreescu, seven six, uh, I believe, uh, in the uh, excuse me, seven six six three. I want to say yeah, seven six six three victory to advance to the Indian Wells round of sixteen. You look for Conteve on the day. Oh, what was so impressive was her numbers on serve. Creates 10 break chances for herself, tr- converts on five of them, wins 50% of her first serve return points, 64% of her second serve return points. She was just seeing the ball like a grapefruit uh, on the return and just, again, from there, taking control of the point. And she's so proficient off of both wings. There's no, again, what's the weakness against Annette Conteve? Sure, if you have the big weapons, you can hit her off the court. But if you have big weapons, you can hit anyone off the court. And those weapons better be damn big and they better be damn precise in their landing location. Otherwise, Annette Conteve is going to change direction on you. She's going to ask that question of you to force you to make the extra ball. And again, she's clearly had something click here down the home stretch of the season. Uh, as I mentioned, she's won, what, 14-1 and one now, 15-1 and one since the start of Cleveland. Just in, uh, super impressive in her straight set victory over Bianca Andreescu. That one had more, in my opinion, to say about Conteve than it did about Andreescu, although you look for Bianca now with this loss. She is down, I believe, to what Bianca Andreescu currently has fallen has fallen mightily in the WTA rankings. You look for Andreescu down to number 23 in the live rankings. And, I mean, look, that's going to hurt once, you know, I, it, it's going to just be tricky. There's going to be some tricky first-round matches for Bianca. And, of course, she's got big Miami Finals points coming off of her resume at the start of 2022. Really needs to put something together. Maybe a round of 16 quarterfinal run at the Australian Open. Something similar at next year's Indian Wells also. 20s is just a tricky spot because, again, look at the players surrounding her. She's now trailing Goff and Raducanu in the rankings. Behind her are Brady, Bedosa, Jabert, Mukova, and Fernandez. It's a dangerous, dangerous portion of the rankings. Everyone is dangerous right now in the women's game. Of course, you look for Bianca Andreescu, 37th in points accumulated here this season. Yeah, she is in jeopardy of falling outside the top 30. Of course, all the credit in the world to Annette Conteve, who, by the way, is your tennis abstract singles forecast leader in terms of most likely to win this tournament, 19.2% now. It's a heck of a victory for her over Bianca Andreescu to, again, advance to the Indian Wells round of 16. You look at some of the other matches that win a battle on the day. If Conteve is your most informed player right now, 
Angelique Kerber's a close second. You look at what Kerber's been able to accomplish, 19-4 and four since the start of her run to the Bad Hamburg title at the uh, towards the end of June. Of course, since then, she's gone Bad Hamburg final, uh, title, Wimbledon semifinals, lost to Ashley Barty. Cincinnati semifinals, lost to Ashley Barty. U.S. Open, uh, round of 16, three-set loss to Layla Fernandez. Ostrova was a 2-3 and three loss, indoor hardcore to Jill Teichman, but I just thought that surface suited Teichman, given the speed of it, much better than it did Kerber. Of course, you look for her here in this event. She spent, what, through her first two matches, three, uh, four hours, and let's see, one, set, uh, 16 minutes on court through her first two matches, three set wins over Sinyakova and Daria Kasakina, respectfully. Look, in each of those matches, she makes over 70% of her first serves, and, you know, she faces 27 total break points through her first two matches. She's also created 35 break points through her first two matches. She's, again, it's ground stroke game tennis for Angelique Kerber here at Indian Wells, and of course, she's defending finals points from 2019. So this is a sneaky, important event for Kerber, who currently finds herself 14th in the live rankings. Of course, you look for Kerber, though, in the race to the year-end finals, a little bit outside of that top 15 range. Angelique Kerber currently 18th. She wins this event. She's very much in the hunt. Uh, So she is not out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but again, needs to, she's got to pass Bedosa, Conteve, Pagula, and Jabour, who are all still alive here at Indian Wells. It's just, it's tough sledding that you need all of them to lose as well. But hey, she controls her own destiny. She wins the title. She will surpass I believe Garbine Muguruza and takes seventh place overall on the list, and that's including Barty and Osaka. So, hey, Kerber's still alive. And again, if you go 19 and four over a three month stretch, you've played yourself into that scenario. And so, credit to Angelique Kerber. It's been a resurgent end of the season for her. She's playing some of her best tennis here now down the home stretch, 28 and 14 overall. Uh, but again, moving, had her game certainly heading in the right direction. And by the way, Daria Kasakina has put together an excellent season as well. And if we see this is the last match for Kasakina of the year, I think she can keep her head held high in that she did make progress here this season. Gets back inside the top 30 of the rankings. You look for Kasakina overall on the year here in 2021. Again, has had a successful season. 36 and 18 overall has made, I believe, I want to say three different finals for her here this year. Four of them, excuse me, three of them on hard courts, one of them on grass. She won two titles at the start of the season, but overall you look at it, of course, by ranking, she's had plenty of success against top 50 opponents. Kasakina 14 and 12 here this season, four and six against the top 20. Kerber just out physicaled her, but in the end, uh, Angelique Kerber able to advance still. Great season we saw put together from Kasakina, who it's just worth remembering. I believe she's what? I want to say Daria Kasakina is currently, sorry, we're looking for her in the live rankings. Kasakina is currently 24 uh, years old. She's currently, what, 30th in the live rankings? I think that's where you want to be at that stage of your career, getting to chart whatever sort of path you want for your tour schedule. But of course, that uh, was your other. Uh, that was one of your two three cent matches on the day. You also had Kalinskaya just continuing her exceptional form. Made played such a physical match against Cerebes Toro, but took the advantage of the fact that look, Victoria Golubic didn't quite have the legs on her at the end of the match that she did at the start. Golubic racing out to a six one first set before Kalinskaya. 
grinds Golubic down. Again, absorbs the heavy topspin of Golubic, was able to get some depth into that backhand wing, wasn't afraid to move forward when the moment called for 1-6-6-1-6-3. She wins. Of course, Golubic spent four and a half hours on court in her first two victories over Sakari and Von Drusova, respectfully, but it's a heck of a win for Kalinskaya, who's won over 70% of her hardcourt matches here this season. And you look for Kalinskaya now with this victory, uh, I believe she's going to move back up the WTA live rankings. And you look uh, for Kasekin, she's back in the top 100. I don't think she's quite in the top 100, but she's got to be uh, close to it. Excuse me, Kasekina is who I said there. I didn't mean Kasekina. I meant Kalinskaya. You look for Kalinskaya right now in the live rankings. She is up to number 160. One win away. She gets a win, makes the quarterfinals. She will, oh my God, not crack the top 100. She'll be at number 102. That is crazy. Quarterfinals of Indian Wells, not going to get you into the top 100, but you look for her here uh, overall on the season in terms of you know points accumulated uh, this year for Kalinskaya. And again, in the points race, I believe she is now, and you can hear me trying to stall, trying to buy as much time as possible. You look for Kalinskaya, she is currently, I want to say, let's go, I'm going to guess 78th. Let's guess 78th. She's not 78th. Currently 78th is Danka Kavinich for Kalinskaya right now in the live race. She's up to number 93 in terms of points accumulated. Leave all of that win in West off. It shows, again, if you're a one surface specialist, you can get into the top 100 if you have the degree of success that the qualifier Kalinskaya has into her first round of 16 in a 1,000 level match. Of course, those were your three set matches on the day. Your big upset Beatrice Haddad Maya, who's now 91 in 20. Since coming back from suspension, she earns the victory of her comeback tour. Was one in three versus top 100 players. Now beats the number one seed, Carolina Pliskova. Six three seven five. Pliskova just struggled horribly on serve throughout the course of the match. 12 double faults for her and just, you know, won only 54% of her first serve points, 42% of her second serve points, uh, faced 14 break points throughout the course of the match and just, you know, again, created 14 break point chances for herself, but Haddad Maya, a little bit more dynamic from the baseline, certainly enjoyed the slow high bouncing surface, did the lefty, but again, this is the biggest victory in her comeback and you look for Beatrice Haddad Maya, who is 153 in terms of points accumulated this year because so many of those 91 victories have come at the ITF level, but it's now up to number 96 inside the live rankings for the 25-year-old to get back in the top 100 just opens things up. She'll get back to the top 75, top 50. She does have that sort of talent and again, still super, super young at 25 years old, but that was your big upset of the day uh, in terms of your other winners. Paula Bedosa, super impressed. She was just way better in the wind, respectfully, than Coco Goff was. And so 2-2 two and two victory for Bedosa to advance. Alia Tomjanovic, Al Tom, continuing a strong ending of the season. She earned a 6-4, 6-3 victory over Tamara Zidanzik. Own Jabour was just way better in the win than Danielle Collins, who could not find her rhythm on serve. Jabour, a 1-3 victory. She continues to close in on the year-end finals as well. Currently would qualify as things stand. If you take out Barty, you take out Osaka. She's seventh and does have a lead over uh, Svitolina, over Pagula, over Kerber. All of the players still alive here this week, but of course there are so many of them still alive, and that lead not comfortable enough for her to call it quits to feel comfortable just yet that she's going to qualify nevertheless. The 1-3 victory over Danielle Collins certainly helps, but again, 
Those are your matches on the day, on day five, a Monday recap at Indian Wells. I apologize for not offering you more of a Tuesday preview, but A, you will have likely watched the majority of Tuesday's matches by the time this podcast has come out, and B, of course, we offer daily predictions each and every day over on our GSP Ace of the Day uh, segment. If you have missed any of those episodes, you want to get started, you want to put some money in your pocket, go check out our GSP Ace of the Day feed. Of course, if you need more immediate updates throughout the day, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for Super Producers Fliegner and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, and for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 